Everybody, welcome back to Java Chat. We got an interesting forum, uh, one for you today. It almost sounds like, what's his name? Um, Steve Harvey. We got a good one for you today. We have a gentleman here by the name of Kenny Polkari, who's uh, a, former, a former Wall Street floor trader. Now, if you guys don't, everybody thinks about Wall Street as just, you know, this big, crazy, wild place. And that's exactly where Kenny played in the days when it was like that. In fact, if any of you even remember the movie Trading Places, which is one of my absolute favorites when it comes to Wall Street, I thought that was well done. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Kenny's got a few stories that can relate to something just like that. So Kenny, thanks for coming on and hanging out with us at Java Chat. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> although, you know, uh, that movie took place, that was in the commodities markets. Oh, okay, not okay. The, not, although although the, the theory is the same because the markets, you know, the floor of the New York Stock Exchange was a market. Yeah. Uh, we traded equities there, right? Yeah. Uh, and we're, and we're going to get into that. Give us a little bit of history about where you, where you, where you're from, where you because you you're you're not there now. You're in Florida now, from from what I remember. Is that correct? <laughs> that is correct. Okay, but that but you're correct. originally a uh, Bostonian. I was Bostonian. a kid, born and brought up in uh, in a town outside of Boston called Belmont. Um, the middle of five kids from a Boston Italian family, and oh my uh, gosh, you know my my grandparents came over, you know, after the after the First World War you know, moved to Boston, met each other in Boston, you know, all that stuff. And then uh, I was born in Boston in 1961. I lived there until I graduated college, which uh, was 1983. I went to Boston University School of nice. Management. Nice. And during the summers of, of my college experience, I had the opportunity to go work on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Now, you know, after- How the hell does year, that happen? You're in college well, and you get to go to the floor? Well, and I, it's very interesting, you know, I was 19 <laughs> years old. I had never and been at to 19. Hello. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had never been to New York city before. It oh was, uh, it was December of 1979. Um, wow. Cause I was just finished my freshman, the first semester of my freshman year in college. Right. And uh, we went to New York. My family and I went to New York. My, my dad was was a retail stockbroker in Boston, oh, wow. uh, but had relationships with people in New York. And so we went, we were, had been invited to New York as a family to go to a Christmas party in New York city. This person he knew and uh -huh. uh, who ultimately became partners <clears throat> with lived in New York city, had this great Christmas party. And so we all went, we went to the Christmas party and I was 19 years old. And there I met a bunch of people. And a lot of them were guys from the floor of the New York stock exchange who were very, very, they were all type A personalities. They were funny. They were, they were, they were the greatest set of guys that you could imagine. <laughs> I mean, they were just, like, think, think about a type A personality, just constantly going, right? Oh, Poking yeah. at each other. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I ended up having, you know, we had a great time at this party, met a number of people and uh, had a couple of conversations. And this one guy said to me, you know, why don't you consider coming to New York for the summer and work on the floor of New York Stock Exchange? Okay, dude, look, I'm 19 years old at the time. <laughs> And I'm sitting there going, what the hell do I want to move to New York City for in the summer when I had every intention of going back to Cape Cod and, you know, work, being a lifeguard on the beach at 19 years old? Could you that's think of anything else you'd that's want to the, do? That's the best job. Are you kidding me? Lifeguard? So, oh, so, come right. on. Well, and so I, my first reaction was to say no, that I had no interest in doing that. I didn't, you know, what the hell would I want to do? So I went back to college my second semester freshman year, and I started thinking about this opportunity. And I thought, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to go there. I'm going to, I'm going to have this experience. I'm either going to like it. I'm either going to like it or I'm not going to like it. So I can, if I don't like it, I chalk it up for experience. And if right. I do like it, who knows it could change the course of my life. Right. Well, clearly it changed the course of my life. Cause what I decided <laughs> to do was I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go, I'm going to live in New York for the, for the summer. I'm going to try it out. So I moved to New York City in uh, the summer of 1980 downtown in the financial district, which was a ghost town. Yeah after five o'clock at night, because it was really where all the banks and brokers were, right? right. No one lived downtown, nope. but yep. the rent was cheap. And, uh, you know, it was right around the corner from the exchange and I could walk back and forth. And so, okay, let's do it. Well, you know, I walked on the floor on, uh, it was probably May 10th or 12th of 1980, not knowing anything about anything. <laughs> and uh, it took me about three weeks and all of a sudden I was just enamored with the place. Now, look, understood. I still didn't understand a thing that was going on because <laughs> there was a separate language. Everybody spoke in a different language. Oh, I yeah, bet. It's like you know, they, they spoke in fractions. They spoke in symbols. They spoke in 
you know, the way you, well, you know, if you came from the business, the way you represented yourself as a buyer, the way you represent yourself as a seller, yep. supply and demand and understanding how to read the crowd, right? That was really, that, really important. That right there. How the to crowd. read the crowd. That has got to be one of the most underappreciated and, skills it, it, to this you, day. And until you learn that skill, and it's not a skill you learn anywhere. You don't learn it in college. You don't learn nope. it by going to school. You have to learn it by you have to learn it by doing it. And what was really interesting is, you know, in 1980, I was my generation was the first generation of guys that were going men and women. I say guys in a general sense. Yeah. Um, that were going to the floor that actually were going to college. Everyone that was above me, that was older than me, these were these were kids that had come from the streets of New York, Brooklyn and Queens and yeah. Staten Island and Manhattan. Yeah. They didn't go to college, they came right out of high school, but again, they were type A, they were street smart, they could read a crowd. Yeah. They understood what it was like when you got in a crowd, supply and demand, you know, when they were, you know, how the buyers were, how aggressive were the sellers, you know, how to, how to strategize and be creative in terms of representing clients at the point of sale. It was the most amazing place in the whole world. God, and I was there for about three weeks and I was like, oh my God, I couldn't get enough of the place, right? Yeah. I'd, I'd run home after work, I'd read the newspaper, I'd read books, I'd try to learn everything I could. So the next morning I'd get up and I'd fly right to work again. And I was and that first summer, I was a gopher, right? I mean, you sure. go for this, you go for that, you don't do yeah. anything. Because I didn't know anything, right? But I spent right. the whole summer learning. Uh, back to college in the, the summer. I went back to college in September 1980. I came back in the summer of 81. I did the same thing. I got a little bit better at it. I got to know more people. I got to understand it. It was, the, it was unbelievable. And then I went back in September of 81. I came back in the summer of 82. Here's what's really interesting for a lot of your listeners who may or may not understand this, because if you weren't around in 1982, you definitely won't understand it. We had just come through the Jimmy Carter years. Yep. You remember yep. the whole Iranian hostage crisis? Mm -hmm. the, the, the U.S. economy was in, was in complete, complete it was rough. Uh, dislocation. It was rough. Interest, interest rates were 21%. Unemployment yep. was 13%. Inflation yep. was running at 10%. It was a really difficult time in the country. And then on top of it, we had, you know, we were still morally de demoralized after the Iranian hostage crisis thing yep. and the Jimmy Carter. <clears throat> Ronald Reagan had just become president. Paul Volcker was Fed chair. R Ronald Reagan was now pushing through, you know, his tax reform policy very yep. much the way what happened when Trump took office, right? The yep. whole tax reform policy. And if you remember, that was a massive, massive legislative deal. The Reagan oh, it was, tax it was package, insane. right? Yeah, it was insane. And, uh, and, uh, but what was interesting is that guys who were my age then, you know, mm -hmm. who were 59, 60 years old back in 1982, when, when business was so bad, they were losing their jobs. They were losing their business. Yep. Guys were getting thrown out because business was horrendous. Yeah. So I came back in the summer of 1982, went to go work for the guy that I worked for the previous two summers. Now, he was a guy who was an independent member on the floor. He had what I thought was a fairly decent business, mm -hmm. but started to suffer because think about this for a minute. When interest rates are 21% and you yeah. were anybody who had any money in the world, mm -hmm. you had two choices with your money. You could go to the bank and, and put, it in a, put it in a CD in the bank and earn 21% guaranteed, no risk, sleep at night. Right. Or you can take your money and you could go out and buy GE and Johnson and Johnson and, 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 and General Electric. And they're all fine American companies, but they're full of risk, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you had a choice. Jeez, I could take this, whatever the number is, the 500000 a million dollars, $2 million. I could take it and go to the bank and earn 21% or I could buy these stocks and risk never knowing, right? Because stocks yep. go up and down in value. Yep. The economy was horrendous. It was horrendous. And so all this money flew into the banks, right? Yeah. And so, and so. The Dow was trading at 792. Today yep. it's trading at 28,000. Yeah, no, what a, what a, what a, did we, did we ever think? Did, no, we, did ever? we ever think? <laughs> volume on the New York Stock Exchange was maybe 30 million shares a day. Today yep. we'll do 30 million shares in about a, a minute and a half. Yeah, yeah. But I went back in the summer of 1982 and I'll never forget it because the guy that I was going back to work for, mm -hmm. literally, I walked in there, he put his arm around me and he said to me, I can't afford to have you. Like, I just can't afford to have you. Wow. His business was his business going down the drain. Now, listen, 1982, I was making $125 a week as an intern on the floor of the exchange. $125 a week, right? And it and and so this guy said to me, 
I just, it's just another bill I can't afford to have right now. Right. I said, all right. So I thought, okay, maybe this is the summer I'm going to be the lifeguard at the beach. Right? <laughs> so then I decided. Hey, I, you had something I, to fall back on. <laughs> yeah. So I walked around because I, by this time I know I gotten to know a lot of guys on the floor and I, and businesses and stuff. So I walked around. I said, okay, let me just check it out. So I, this one particular gentleman who I absolutely adore, he is the salt of the earth. I went over to him and I, hey, Mr. Latham, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. Hey, welcome back, kid. You know, puts his arm around you, gives you the old, how do you do? And I said to him, I said, Mr. Latham, I said, I'm probably not going to be sticking around. I said, because Dougie can't have me. His business is not doing very well. So I'm looking for a job, but I also understand that times are tough. And he looked at me and he goes, hey, kid, do you know the difference between a buy and a sell? I go, yeah. He goes, do you know the difference between an eighth and a quarter? I go, yes, sir. He goes, what's the symbol for IBM? It's IBM, right? Yeah, right. So, yeah. I, so he said, can you start tomorrow? How's 250 a week? 250? I just got a raise. Yeah. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And so <laughs> I spent the summer 1982. And what's really significant about this is, is what happened in the summer 1982. And again, if you weren't around, you won't, you, you won't understand this. But it was Monday, August 16th. The, the Dow was trading at 792. Like I said, interest rates were 21%. Inflation was 13%. Unemployment was 10%. It was horrendous. And on, on the Monday afternoon, there was this rumor that was starting that on Tuesday morning, there was going to be this surprise announcement by the Fed. The Fed never made surprise announcements. Never, ever, ever. Right? Yeah. They came out they're, on Thursday morning. They're always mornings. predictable. Yeah. Thursday morning at 8.30, the guy, he'd open the door, he'd step out to the podium, he'd make an announcement, he'd turn around, he'd close the door. He didn't sit there and hold your hand and out nope. you a Xanax and say, nope. can we talk about it? Lie down. Are you okay? Okay, how do you feel? None of that shit, nope. right? Nope. So now remember also there was no internet, there's no LinkedIn, there's no Twitter, there's no Facebook, there's no television, there's radio on the floor. Yeah. So the only way when you were on the floor, the only way you got information was when somebody from the outside called down to tell you what was happening, right? Right. And right. that was really that was by design because when you were on the floor of the exchange and you were representing a client in a crowd, yeah. you were not supposed to be poisoned with news from the outside. Your job was to react to supply and demand at that moment in time. Yep to be able to represent, buy and sell the stock based on what was happening at that moment in time in that stock. Okay, so 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 rumor has it that the Fed's gonna come out on Tuesday. And so, you know, nobody really paid any attention to it. So Tuesday morning came, we're all there at work. It's, it, as the clock approached 8.30, you could feel this kind of, like the rooms got quiet. Now at this time, there were three rooms at the New York Stock Exchange. The original room, uh, which is the room you see on TV all the time. And then there was uh, the first, the first one that was built in 1917 called the garage and the other one built in 1963 called the blue room. The three rooms made up the trading floor okay. and, and all the stocks that traded, traded amongst those three rooms. So as we approached about 8.30, you could feel the room get a little bit quiet, but not, not yeah, because everyone's just waiting. Yeah. And the only way you were going to know if something happened is if the phone started ringing, because again, there was no television, there was no radio, there was no internet, right? Right. right. All of a sudden it's about 8.30 and 30 seconds. Every single phone on the floor lit up and they, and they were these old institutional metal phones with the push yeah, buttons yeah. and they would, they would ring like ring. They would ring, right? Not yep. play songs and music the way they do today. <laughs> they would ring like ring. Every phone lit up at the same time. And you picked up the phone and the people on the outside were guys that were on trading desks at Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley and First Boston, right? And other regional brokers and all that stuff. And people screaming through the phone. Oh my God, did you see what happened? You said, no, I didn't see what happened. What happened? And so what he told you, in fact, the Fed had come out and they made the surprise announcement on Tuesday morning, August 17th. And they made the announcement that they were cutting, they were going to break the back of inflation, break the back of uh, unemployment. They were going to cut interest rates by 10%. Listen to what Ooh, I just said, 10%. That was 10 a big deal. Is 2%, two full percentage points, Yeah. right? So rates are going to go from 21 to 19% in one fell swoop. Today, we're talking about raising rates by a quarter of 1%. Everyone's having a nervous breakdown, right? Yeah, right. And so, and so that was, Tuesday, August 17th, was the birth of the greatest bull market that you and I and the world has ever known, yep. right? And so... And so on that day, the phones didn't stop ringing because what that, what that did was it drew a line in the sand and he made it very clear that rates were coming down. And so what did it do? It forced money out of the banks Back and into, into market. stocks, right? Yep. And the market took off. And that day we traded. Now on Monday, we traded 30 million shares and the Dow might've been up or down 50 cents. Yeah. You know, a three quarter, 75 yeah. cents, yeah. a buck, maybe a buck, right? Tuesday, we traded 138 million shares and the market was up four and a half percent. Four and a half percent at the time was 35 points. Jeez. Today, 35 points is nothing, but then it was the percentage move. Oh, yeah. It was a massive move in the market, right? Sure. And, and, 
and the phones never stopped ringing. It was the most amazing day. I remember it like it was yesterday, right? And it was, that was the birth of the greatest bull market. And then, uh, so I stayed through August. I went back to college in, in uh, September. It was my senior year in college. And he didn't want me to go back. He now wanted me to stay there. I go, look, dude, I I've gone three years of college. I spent $30,000, $10,000 a year at Boston University is what it cost yeah. me at the time. Yeah, Today yeah, it cost yeah. $70,000 a year. That's right? insane. So, insane. So I went back to college. He said, okay, go back. He said, but you have a job when you get out in May, the following May. Look, dude, I just hit the friggin' lottery because there were kids who couldn't get a job. And yeah. I had a job nine months out. Yep. He was going to hold it for me. I had it. I was going to pay me $36,000 a year. I hit the lottery. Right? Boy, did you. And so I went back to college. I had the greatest senior year of my life <laughs> because everyone else is, you know, doing their resumes and going on interviews. And I didn't do any of that, which actually probably in retrospect might've been a mistake, but you know what? I knew what I wanted to do and I just went and did it. Right. So I went, I finished my senior year. I went to Italy for a month in June. I moved down to New York in July of early July of 1983 for what I thought was going to be a two or three year stint. Yeah. Look, like I said, Joe, I'm a kid from Boston. My whole family lives in Boston. Yeah. My, you know, and if you know anything about Italian mothers, Italian mothers want, you know, their kids around them. Right. Yep. So I was expected yep. to get married and buy a house next door, basically to my mother and father and live there like everyone was right. Yep. That was just, that's just the way it was. Right. Yep. So I moved to New York and uh, went to work on the floor of the exchange. It was this amazing place. I ended up meeting my wife on the floor of the New York stock exchange. Really? Who at the time, yeah, it's another interesting story. My wife was a was a, a girl, a young girl from Brooklyn. She's actually Puerto Rican. She was born in Puerto Rico. She moved in when she was three. She went to high school. She after high school, she got a job on the floor, did not go to college, got a job on the floor as a runner, and worked her way up the scale on her own and became a member of the New York Stock Exchange in 1984 when there were 12 female members of the exchange yeah. out of 1,366. When women were just punching their head through the glass ceiling, my wife was one of those on the cutting edge of those women that, 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 that wow. were pushing. That's awesome. And, uh, and on top of that, she's Puerto Rican. So she's Hispanic. She's a minority, which, you know, was just, which just added. She's one of the, side. she's one of the street smarts. Yeah. Yeah. She was certainly one of the trailblazers. And uh, anyway, so I met my wife there. Next thing you know, we got married. Then you buy a house, then you get pregnant, you have kids, and all of a sudden you get two cars and a dog, and next thing you know, your life just happens, right? <laughs> so 38 years later, I was still in New York, and I never ended up moving back to Boston. And my yeah, mother's still not talking to me, but that's a whole other issue, right? But I have to tell you, it was the most amazing, amazing place and time to be. And, you know, during that, I was young, it was exciting, it, the, the market was just on fire. <clears throat> and How many years did you spend there? 38. I was there. 38 from, years. Yeah, I left there in January of 2019. Wow. So you just left. I left. Yeah. I left a year and a half ago. So you've seen, but, a, uh, you've seen a ton uh, of change uh, on that floor. A ton of change, the rules and regulations, the events, oh, yeah. things like the crash of 87, mm -hmm. the bull market of the nineties, the whole, mm -hmm. the whole Y2K tech bubble and what was Oh, that was on. a joke. I, I laughed well, so hard at that. I mean, well, the, know, the, the fear was real. The, 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 the caution was, real. was it was real, but the fear was real when they finally figured out what the real issue was. <laughs> right, the fear was real, but the, that whole that whole time, the '90s was just an incredible time. Yes, it was. in the markets, not only just in terms of the markets, but in terms of technology was just beginning to you know show its face. Europe yeah. and and Asia had already that they had they had gone from from. Uh, open crime markets the way we were to automated, right? They yep. had automated their markets yep. uh, in the late eighties and early nineties, the United States, we were still doing pen to paper, human to human, eighths of a quarter, eighths of a dollar yep. trading yep. in the crowd, right? We did not automate until after the turn of the century. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we, we. So what are you saying that the, the floor traders a dying breed? Well, the float, there is no more float trader now. If really? You now, yeah, they're all gone. There's no, it's all automated. Today, it's all automated. So who are those people if, walking around if, down there? Well, so there, so, so there's, first of all, all those people, there's only, there's less than 200. Down from 5,500 is what used to be on the trading floor. Wow. 5,500 type A personalities. Which yeah. That was the greatest part because we were all type A personalities. And so. <laughs> Boy, that had to was, be a spectacle. <laughs> The en dude, I got to tell you, the energy was up here every day. If the market was up, the energy was up. If the market was down, the energy was up. It was just a different energy. Yeah. You could feel it. You yeah. know, like I, I like to, I like to explain it. 
You know when you go to a concert, like a, like a concert, and you're sitting right down in the front, and you know the big, huge speakers, and when the music starts to play, you're standing, on you. you know, if, you, if, you, if you're standing in front of the speaker, you can feel the oh, vibration. Yeah. It goes oh, right yeah. through your body, right? Yep. That's the way it felt every single wow. day on the floor. It was the most exciting place in the world. And that's then, you know, amazing. I was there during the crash in 1987. I was only 26 years old, but that, that's also a story that, like I remember it was yesterday. You were there during 08 too. I, I was there during I was there during 08. I was there during 9/11. I was there during Y2K. I was there the whole way through it. Goodness gracious! I, and each one of those events resulted in you know regulatory changes and yeah. advances yeah, yeah. in technology. And so and so slowly the market started to change because it changed. It didn't change overnight until. No. After 9-11, I will yeah. say after 9-11, it started to change overnight because what people don't realize about 9-11 was, was what it revealed. And what it revealed was the vulnerability of the United States and the U.S. capital markets because yep. here we, we had were, so much We had so much sitting in those towers. I mean, well, whole floors worth of, of financial planning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only in the towers, but what people don't understand is that the New York Stock Exchange was three blocks east of the Twin Towers. And at the turn of the century, once, the, <clears> once <throat> we converted from open outcry to starting to use technology and really automating the marketplace, mm -hmm. all the servers that ran the floor of the New York Stock Exchange that were all located in the building, all the cables and wires that ran out to the world that connected out Went to the right brokers. Right went underneath the trade, went through the belly of the trade yep. centers. Yeah, now, I don't think anybody, uh, do I think that they knew, Al-Qaeda knew that that was the case? No, I don't think Al-Qaeda no. knew that at all. No, but but what happened was we, that's where they went. And when the trade centers got hit and collapsed, what happened to all those cables and wires? They all got severed and, oh, and, yeah. and destroyed. And so now what happens to this brand new automated 21st century market we have? It, it was gone. It doesn't work. Doesn't yep. work, right? We'll I mean, up. the building, the building physically was there, and yeah, you could turn the, the, the you could turn no the good. computers on, but there's no data. Yeah, there's no data going back and forth because now there's 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 no connectivity, and so what happened was that event revealed exactly how vulnerable mm. the country was and how vulnerable the markets were because look. And, and, the listed stocks, so when you think of IBM and General Electric and, and Abbott Laboratories and Boeing, those are all New York Stock Exchange listed stocks. Yep. Unlike Apple and Intel, they traded on NASDAQ. NASDAQ was a different marketplace. You know, the, the, the offices building, the office buildings were in Times Square. That was already an automated computerized market, not like right. the New York Stock Exchange. It was very, very different. Right. And what the what 9-11 revealed was there was, you know, not only did we not have a backup plan in this country. Mm. But what it revealed was how vulnerable, vulnerable we were as a country and how vulnerable the, the capital market system was. And listen, the U.S. capital markets is not just the U.S. It involves investors around the world the same yep. way we as Americans go invest in Europe. We as Americans go invest in Asia. And so Asians come to America, invest in the U.S. Europeans mm -hmm. come to America. Latin Americans come to America. Canadians come to America, right? The same way, right? Yep. And so what it, what it highlighted was the risk of of our system and our system was the New York Stock Exchange was where it all traded. I mean, yeah. that, listen, they were starting to make advancements in what you call alternative trading systems, but they didn't, they hadn't taken off yet. The technology wasn't so advanced that they were successful yet. But what happened was when that happened, the whole world changed, right? Yeah. When, when, when we realized, when people thought, okay, well, the New York Stock Exchange is going to open on Tuesday. You're right. Damn right. It was going to open on Tuesday, 9-11. But then it didn't open on Wednesday, and then right. it didn't open on Thursday because it couldn't. Right. There was no connectivity. But no one stood up and, 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 and told everybody about that because it would have created panic, right? Yeah. And yeah. so here's what happened. So on, on, on Wednesday morning, you call your broker and you say to your broker, okay, I, I want to sell my stocks. Because you remember what was going on. The whole everybody conversation. Was trying to dump. Yeah. Everybody, right? And uh, Asian markets were under pressure. Uh, European markets were under pressure, but the U.S. markets, and, and when the U.S. markets, when you couldn't trade anything on the New York Stock Exchange, you couldn't trade anything else. So interest rates didn't trade, futures didn't trade, currencies didn't trade, come on, nothing traded, right? So mm -hmm. the United States went dark, completely yeah. dark. And so what we had to do as a nation and as an industry was we shipped guys in immediately that had to rewire Mm -hmm. the system and they in the middle now think about what was happening over here was this disaster of the world trade center and over here was the center of finance for really well not only the united states but really for the world right and 
And these guys, they had to rewire every single computer and server on the floor to the outside world. They had to connect it. They had to test it. They had to make sure that everyone in the outside world could connect in. They had to make sure we could connect out. They had yeah. to connect the phones. They had a, they had a, we had to find office space for all those brokers that were in the twin towers that had, whose offices had gotten destroyed because they're in the towers clubs. They had, you, you couldn't say to Merrill Lynch, Oh, I'm sorry. We're going to open the market, but you can't play because their office got, destroyed yeah they, they ha everyone had to be up and running before you could open the market again right Jeez. and so when you think about it it was it was really amazing when you think about it because we got that up and running in six days right because it happened on tuesday the following monday we reopened now when yep. you think about that we put it together with spit and band-aids <clears throat> oh, so yeah. no one no one knew if it was going to last or it wasn't going to last right yeah and i'll never forget i'll never forget on that monday you know, the people who could come back to work came back. There were some people who who couldn't come back because they had gotten killed. There are other people who chose not to come back because they they were they were too traumatized. They just weren't coming mm -hmm. back. But for, for those of us who did go back, we had to go back over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday. We had to test our phones, test computers to make sure everything was gonna work. Sure, Monday, sure. Monday morning we were gonna go, right? And so on the Monday morning, they had everybody on the floor that came back. They had policemen, they had firemen, they had they had uh, Hillary Clinton and Chuck Schumer, elected officials, and they had Rudy Giuliani and the, the mayors, all that stuff, right? And uh, they also had this woman who's, uh, who's in the army. I forget her name right now, but you can look her up. She's very famous, but she, she's, she, she's an opera singer. Mm -hmm. And they brought her to New York and they put her up on the podium mm -hmm. at 9.15 on the Monday morning. And she sang God Bless America at 9.15, just acapella, just sang it, just, yep. just, just, just blew the doors off the place. Right. Awesome. And I have to tell you something, talk about an emotional moment in your life. Oh yeah. Because here's, we, we all know what happened on 9-11. You know, exactly. Remember exactly where you were. Yep. And, and then on the Monday morning, here we were, and we, everyone expected that, you know, the market was going to open and it was going to crash. Yeah. Right. That the, because, because you wanted out, you didn't want to own GE and Abbott and Johnson Johnson, but you want your cash. You called your broker. You said, get me the fuck out. I want my cash. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, and that's exactly what happened. She sang that there were tears in everybody's eyes. And then at nine twenty nine and 55 seconds, when they start to ring the opening bell, everyone, everyone on the floor goes like this. <sighs> Because you didn't know if it was going to work or if it was going to fail, right? right. Were, were the were the computers going to, yeah, yeah. Were the computers going to start delivering order flow, and was the tape going to start to move, and was stocks going to start to trade or not? And so, it did. In fact, it all lit up, and the computers lit up, and the order flow started to started to come in, and the trade started to happen. And I'll never forget it. You, we 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 ran around the whole day like on <clears throat> on eggshells, right? Because oh, sure. Nobody. At any moment, you didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And at four o'clock, when the closing bell rang, <clears throat> the market was down six hundred points. I think yeah. on 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 huge volume. Yeah. And that was a big that was a big move. Down six hundred points was a big move. But when the bell stopped ringing, is when it got really emotional because it was at that moment that you realize that as difficult as the previous six days had been and as difficult as that day had been and as difficult as it was going to be in the days ahead mm -hmm. that we were back. We were, you know, they, they kicked us down and knocked us down for six days. Absolutely. They did. But we, it was like at four o'clock, it was like you stole, you could feel the whole country stand up and lock arms and stand up. And then it became really like physically emotional, right? Crying yeah. and tears. And because it, because, because people were just holding it all in. Everyone was trying to be, you know what I mean? They were yeah, trying, trying to, to hold it together. Strong, one. Trying yeah. to hold it together. Yeah. And, and then that was the beginning of really what was soon to become like this massive change in, in the industry, certainly the beginning of, of, of the rebound. Right. And so from there, that event, what that event did was it, it shone a light on the vulnerabilities. It shone a light on the vulnerabilities of the country, of the market, how that affected global markets. Because look, if you're somebody in Europe, mm -hmm. you've got all this money, you've worked your whole life, you've got all this money, mm -hmm. it's invested in stocks in Europe, it's invested in stocks in the United States. When that event happens, you get freaky too. Yeah, and you sure. call your You call your broker and you say, listen, I, I sell all my stocks, European, US, sell them all. I want all my money. 
And so the broker sells your stocks in Europe, but he says to you, I can't sell your stocks in the United States because the markets are closed. I, I can't sell them. And so you say, okay, that's on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, you say the same thing. And he says, I can't, the market's closed. And on Friday, you say the market's closed. And so now you start to get nervous. Yeah. And so on the Monday morning, when the market opens, you call your broker, you say, get me out, which mm -hmm. is exactly what happened. And yeah. the market came under immediate <clears throat> pressure. And, um, but, but, you know, and I remember that it's so vivid in my mind. The, the mere, the mere fact, there. the mere fact that that all went down though, the yeah. fact that you guys were able to make it through Monday yeah, and, yeah. and people on the other side of the phones that were calling their brokers finally hearing, okay, it's done. Speaks You're, volumes. Yeah. Cause that, cause at that point now, all of a sudden it's, it's no longer, well, we can't help you. It's like, right. We did our job. Right. And Correct. you got, and you got your liquidity. Correct. Don't forget you, to come back. Well, well, and and so they didn't. I mean, the markets actually stabilized. That was the worst day. That Monday yeah, was the that worst was rough. day. I, I and, and then, that. yeah, and then you know, the, I mean, listen, it was volatile for the next couple of weeks just yep. because there had been so much damage done to the market and really yep. to 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 the country's psyche, right? Mm -hmm. But what happened was then the then the industry immediately said, okay, how do we how do we now fix this? How do we now <clears throat> prepare? And so today, as a result, and listen, it may have happened anyway, but that event lit the fire under yeah, its that, backside. Yeah, that was a real catalyst for sure. Yeah, it was absolutely a catalyst. And so today we have 12 exchanges in the, in the United States, right? So New York Stock Exchange is the only physical exchange. The other 11 exchanges are virtual. They trade in the cloud. They're run by servers located all over the country. Yep. You can't touch them. You can't feel them. You can't go visit them. There's no human beings. It's all electronic. Yeah. The New York is the only one where there are still people. It is electronic, but the people that you see down there today, when you see it on television, those are the people that are just overseeing the technology. Yeah. The technology is doing all the work, yeah. but the people are overseeing. In the event that there's a failure of technology, in the event that there's a news item on, on, on General Electric or Boeing, it would, cause an, it would cause a surge in the trading volume. The human being is there to help coordinate right. it, right? right. But right. for the most part, it's completely automated. And which is why, you know, at some point uh, I just, I decided it wasn't for me anymore because as much as I love the industry and I'm still in the industry, I'm just not in a different, I'm in a different part of it now. That role, first of all, got completely automated away. It's com yeah. The, the, that, yeah. The, Technology the broker, has definitely the, automated yeah, a lot of stuff. The broker does not exist today. Yeah. That institutional broker. Because remember the guy on the floor, I was an institutional broker. My clients were hedge funds, mutual funds, pension plans, foundations. I wasn't talking to you as an individual. Right. You were not calling me up and saying, listen, I want to buy 50 shares of Coke and put it in my kid's retirement account. Uh-uh-uh. I was talking to Fidelity. I was talking to mutual funds or hedge funds, right? The portfolio manager that was managing billions of dollars that needed to buy a million shares of Boeing yeah, or right. sell 300,000 shares of IBM right. or buy 5 million shares of American Telephone. Those were my clients, right? Oh my gosh, um, American Telephone. I haven't American heard Telephone. forever. My yeah, gosh. American Telephone. Hey guys, so yeah. we're going we're gonna to take a quick quick break, short break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more with Kenny about, um, about, about motivations, things that get him jazzed. Obviously, this is one of them, <laughs> which is great. And then, then I, you're going to have to come back and share more of these stories because I'm, I'm hearing there's plenty of them. Uh, with every market drop and, and come back, it's, it's, it's always been it's been interesting to me too. I mean, the, the mere fact that I was able to see what was going to happen in 2008, back in 2006, I still, but anyway, so we're going to take 30 seconds. We'll be right back. All right, guys, we're back here with Java chat and man, Kenny, you just got some stories, dude. We, I mean, there's so much and, and, and guys understand something when you're, when you're in, when you're in the financial district in or in financial vertical, there's a whole bunch of sub niches, but this one in particular gets to see a lot of the action and it can get to be overwhelming. One of the things that Kenny said earlier was it's, it was fun to watch a whole bunch of type A personalities <laughs> yeah. playing with each other on the floor because they're sitting there trying to figure out what am I going to buy? What am I going to sell? And the energy is it, there's, it's like a buzz. There's this buzz yeah. vibe that goes, it, it, it's a constant buzz. It's a constant, constant buzz. buzz. You, when you talk about motivations, which we, we do, what, what moves somebody to do something, motivate, inspirate, however you want to call it. There's a reason that people got up in the morning and, and yours obviously was this love of this industry, but what, what was that? What was, were there, are there people that inspired you because of this or was it just, what, uh, what moves you? Uh, you know, it's, it's so funny because 
when I was when I was in high school, getting ready to go to college, I wanted to I wanted to go to school and become a lawyer and be a politician and one day you know be president of the United States. There you go. I am so happy that <laughs> I am not a lawyer and a politician and president of the United States. Trust me. But but it's funny because the job I ended up doing was the furthest thing in the world that I ever thought. I would do. Right. And it goes back to that statement that I met this, I met this, these guys at this Christmas party. I had this opportunity. I originally said no, and then I rethought it. And then I, you know, and so I, I guess the question is, it depends on the choices you make along the way in your life, uh, how your life is going to end up. Right. And so had I never, had I never gone to that Christmas party, I would never have had that opportunity. Had I never met that guy, I would never have had that opportunity. Had I not, you might actually be president of the United States. I, I might be president, of the United States. <laughs> but I didn't, uh, for whatever reason, you know, the the choices I made. And then, like I said to myself, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to go there, and I'm either going to love it or I'm going to hate it. If I hate it, I chalk it up for experience and move on. If I love it, who knows? It could change the course of my life. And in fact, it did just that. And it was from the minute. I walked on the floor. It was the people I met. It was their engaging personalities. It was the it was the strategy and the creativity of being on the floor. It was it was the energy in the room. And when I I have to tell you something, the energy it was like a drug, right? It's yeah. like a oh yeah, it, I know that one. You just you just feed off the yeah. energy, yeah. and it was <clears throat> it was it was well in my mind it was the most amazing place. Humans have this in the, wonderful in the business world, right? Humans have this wonderful ability to transfer their energy to each other, either by sound or by yeah. by activity. You know, yeah. sometimes, which is why humans dance and why they sing or talk or yell right. out to each other like the, out, right. the, the outcrier. Right. Uh, same thing happened with me. I was a musician. People know that uh, when I was younger, and there were days when on stage, <clears throat> if you're a solo guitarist, it's kind of hard. You got to feed yeah. off the crowd. Yeah, yeah. But if you're on stage with like four other musicians, yeah, holy cow! All of a sudden, it's it's a it's a love fest. It's a, yeah, and, well, and you it, play the you play the guitar. Yeah, yeah, and it, and I know the same thing happens in financial. I know it yeah. happens is if you remember the the movie Boiler Room. Yep. I, I've been in places like that, and yep. when it's rolling and it's buzzing, it really does. It, it yeah. buzzes as well. So, who are some of your best mentors? Like who who influenced you in your in your development? Well, listen, I, I would I would be remiss if I said my father was not one of my one of the you know guiding I, lights and absolutely you know, certainly one of the guiding lights in in my life. But you know, along the way there were there were when I was at when I was at college at BU, there were a couple of teachers in high school that, you know, made significant impacts on the way I looked at the world and the way I thought, you know, mm -hmm. when I was a when I was a senior in high school, I took a psychology 101 course. Mm -hmm. And the teacher in that course was, he changed. I, I just, it was his, it was his style. It was his personality. It was the, it was the subject matter. It just changed the way I thought. And so he made a significant impact on my life in terms of how I looked at things, how I looked at myself, how I looked at the world. Right. And mm -hmm. then, and then when I was in college, the same thing there, you know, there were, there were professors along the way in college, different, different classes. <clears throat> Certainly in my case, they were all business classes that, mm -hmm. that, that just started to ignite a fire mm -hmm. that was in me. Right. And right. then, and then when I had the opportunity to go to New York, I mean, certainly the guy that I ended up working for, who I told you was the salt of the earth and I love this man. He's now well, 83 years old. He lives out Long Island, but he was and continues to be, you know, he was a mentor then. And he was a kid that grew up in Queens, had nothing more than a high school education, worked his way up the ladder. He was a guy that, you know, at, at, at 15 years old, whose father passed away. And so when he graduated high school, his mother said, you know, go out and get a job. Yep. And he got a job at the New York Stock Exchange and but he had the right personality, right? It was all about the right personality. And somebody took a liking to him and somebody took him under his wing and somebody educated him and somebody gave him an opportunity. Right. And uh, in 1974, he bought a seat in the, on the New York Stock Exchange. I think he paid $52,000 for the seat. 52,000 in 1974. And- uh, It's like half a mil now. Uh, they don't exist anymore. 
Well, no, no, yeah, but, they, but the, so what, the equivalence no, so, of the equivalence well, of the fee then to what it would be now. It's well, about so, half a mil. Well, so let me tell you, it's much more than that. So let me tell you why. Because when I became when I became a member in 1985, seats were trading at three hundred fifty thousand oh, dollars, but there geez. were only there were only a limited number of seats. So seats right. traded up and down like stocks. If the market was good and the economy was good and and the outlook was good, seats would trade up because you yep. could make a lot of money. If the economy was bad, yeah, uh, seats would trade down, right? Yeah. And yep. so, at the height before it went. Before they the place went public, seats traded as high as two million bucks. Whoa! 19, Whoa! It was uh, just around the turn <clears throat> of the century, you know, 1998-99. And when the place went public in 2005, after 9/11 and all that stuff, if you owned a seat, the seat became worth 6.8 million dollars. Jesus! Right. So this guy, this 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 mentor of mine, the guy that I worked for, who paid $54,000 for the seat in 1974 and worked it and used it his whole yeah, life and yeah, created yeah. a life and a career. In, in 2005, when the place went public, he turned the seat in, he got a check for, he got stock worth $6.2 million in the new New York Stock Exchange. And he got a check for 350 or $400,000, whatever, that, whatever wow. the difference was. And then uh, the stock came out at $62 a share, <clears throat> trade up to 128. Before the market crashed and then traded other down to 15. Now it's trading back at 100 and something again. But he ended up selling all his stock on the way up, you know, sure. in the 90s and the 100s. And so he sure. did very, very, very well for himself. And, uh, but he, he was somebody who forever impacted my life. It was, it was him as a person, it was as a mentor. He took me under his wing. He paid it forward as well. Nice. Just like the guy when he was younger who put his arm around him and paid it forward, yep. he did the same to me. And I have now since done the same to, you know, three or four other, three or four other guys. Awesome. Um, awesome. Because, hey, that's what you should do. Yeah. Right? You absolutely. should always pay it. You should always pay it forward and you should always look to be a mentor. And that's what I look, you know, part of what I like, like to do. And part of what I'm doing today is mentoring and education, certainly in the financial services space. Sure. But I've, I've now since left and I, and I moved to the wealth management side to the high net worth investor space, right? So I've, yeah. I've gone from the institutional side to the retail side. Right. And I, and I, and I have this perspective after spending 40, 38 years on the floor of the exchange servicing institutional asset managers on not only how the markets work and function, but yeah, I get a sense of, I get a very, very, very deep ingrained sense of, of the markets. And so I've taken that. And that's what really fires me up every day. Besides that, my family fires me up every day, right? I mean, <clears throat> I'm married. I got two kids, although my, I have two adults now. I, don't <laughs> I have two adults now, but, but they fire me up every day, right? That they, they are what keep me you know, putting one foot in front of the other and getting yeah. up and, and go, look, cause I'm only 59. I know I'm, maybe I look a little bit older. I'm only 59, but I, I could live, my grandmother died at 103 and she was perfectly healthy. I could live for another 40 years. That'd be perfect. And so, yeah. And so I'm going no place at the moment, right? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like people say, oh, you re must be retired. I'm not retired at all because the, honestly, I think if I retired right now, I think, I think I'd end up dying because well, I think I you'd end up losing up. your mind first. Well, right, you, right. Type A's yeah. have a hard time staying still. That's absolutely. How it is. And, and that's part of, that's part of the issue, right? So I got to be up. I got to be doing something. I'm constantly doing something. Maybe, maybe, maybe at a, a little bit of a slower pace, but I'm still doing something. Right. <laughs> and that's what keeps me going. And so in addition to my kind of wealth management and chief market strategist role in this independent uh, RIA down here in Florida. I do a lot of education stuff. I do a lot of public speaking stuff about the markets, about history of the awesome. markets, about all that stuff. And I mentor. And so and that's what, that's what kind of drives me today. That's cool. That's all cool stuff. You've moved through, you've obviously gone from being mentored to being a mentor and being driven for all, all great reasons family, other people yeah. that need your, need your expertise, et cetera. What would be one guiding principle that you think people could use on the daily? Like when they get out of bed, what would be something that you would say, this is what you should start with. Start with this when you first get up and go from there. Well, <laughs> you know, for me, for me, I start with some introspection very early in the morning, right? I get up at mm -hmm. four o'clock in the morning and I, and I just think about, I think about the person I am. I think about who I want to be. I think about how I'm going to, how I'm going to 
make this day impact not only my life, but how am I going to impact somebody else's life in this day? And what can I do to do that? Right. I, yeah. I'm, I'm fairly, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a religious fanatic, but I, but I have faith. And so therefore yeah. I, you know, that's part of what guides me. Right. Awesome. Um, and so that's how I've lived my life. Right. And I've, and I, and I, I try to get up every day and think about, okay, what am I going to be able to do today? That's going to benefit somebody. How can I help somebody else? And that's, I spend a lot of time doing that. And I've, and I've really done that honestly, my whole life in terms mm -hmm. of that's how I've kind of how I lived my life. Mm -hmm. There you go. I think that's, that's your answer. That's for me. That's it. That's well, that's actually an answer that's in alignment with a lot of other people, how they think with, yeah. with, with if I'm going to get up in the morning, I need a reason. Either I'm I, impacting family or I'm impacting the, my neighbor, somebody. You got to impact somebody and you've got to try to, you know, you've got to try to do something good in the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Hey guys, we're gonna take one more break. Yes, we're rolling along that fast. Uh, we're gonna take one more 30 second break and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about where Kenny is now, what he's doing, how he's impacting lives and where we can, where we can find. We're back, Java Chat here doing an interview with Kenny Polkari. Uh, Kenny's been sharing some like real amazing stories of the past, where he's been, where he's from. His motivations, obviously, if you guys didn't hear that part, reverse this a little bit <laughs> but he hasn't stopped even at where he's at now he just hasn't stopped he's still moving what are you doing these days now that you've you you've obviously left the the exchange you're, you're done you let your seat go right but that stuff never leaves you so what are you doing with it no it doesn't leave you and you know partly is i, I left i left you know it's interesting it took me a long time to leave partly because 38 years it took you to leave. That's a long time. Yeah, it took me a long time it, because partly it defined who I was, right? For a certain yeah. amount of time, it defined who I was. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I had a love affair with the place. I, I, just, I just loved every minute of going there and being there and the excitement of it. And I, ended up doing, I ended up doing a lot of I, – I, I do television commentary, commentary too, and I would do it live from the floor of the exchange. And nice. So, you know, it was all very – it was all so very exciting to me. But at some point, it didn't make any more sense, right? I mean, the, the yeah. job I did got automated away, and at some point, it just didn't. It wasn't at that point. It didn't become fun for me anymore, right? Yeah. And so, when I, our kids were big, you know, our kids were grown now, so it wasn't like we had, we had to stay in New York and put them in school and all that stuff. They had already done all that, right? And, uh, so I said to my wife, "Listen, if, if we're going to change, if I'm going to change my life, I'm going to launch this new business. I want like a complete change. I want to <laughs> see something different, right?" Um, For, forgive me. I need a whole makeover. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, or, or the, or the twins, I need a whole new ensemble. Yeah. <laughs> so we decided, so we picked up and we moved to, to South Florida, right? We didn't own anything here. And so we just went out in a whim and I, we sold our house in New York and we picked up and we uh, rented a place in uh, Palm Beach to try it out, to kind of feel it out, see what it was like. And I launched my new business down here in Boca. And, uh, I am a, I have my own consulting business, which is Case Capital Advisors. And I consult not only in the, in the financial services space, but in the wealth management space. I'm the chief market strategist for a billion dollar, a $1.2 billion independent RAA down here in Jupiter. Nice. So I represent them when I get on TV. I represent them at client events. You know, I help to bring assets and help, you know, people, people that, that, that now need some, some sure. more specific uh, money management. Mm -hmm help and financial plans and all that. So, so I do all that, which I also, that's the other side of it that I love to do because it keeps me once again, engaged with people. Yeah, right? absolutely. What happened to my job is it got completely automated away. They took the people away. Yeah. Now what this does is it allows me to sit down and have a conversation with you. It allows me to strategize. It allows me to help you build a plan and lay it out. And what do you want to do and how are we going to get there? It's, it's so much more creative. And for me, it fits my personality because it puts me uh, right back in the thick of it again. Sure. Right? Sure. Sure. And then I still do the television stuff. I write a daily blog, a market commentary blog uh, that you can see. It goes on my Twitter. It goes on my LinkedIn every day. You can sign up for it and, and, and get it delivered to you every day. It's a, it's yep, a we'll, have those, we'll have those links down in the comments. Yep. People will be and, able to do that. Uh, so that's what I do. So I've, you know, I've <clears> kind of created this, this new world for myself, different <clears> from what I did, but yet using all the skill sets that I, that I developed over 38 years. It's obviously uh, serving you well if you're with a RIA that's that large. I mean, it's, it's, doing, it's doing you just yeah. fine. 
So yeah, 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 yeah. No, they're great, and they and listen, we do a great job, and it's all very. Uh, it, it's it's yeah, it's I thought you know, I, I struggled with it at first, thinking I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this, but because it was the whole thing about the change, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. About, here I was, I had done that other job for thirty eight years. I was, I was, I was so deep in it, is that it was the breaking out. And that's what you had to do. You had to break yeah, out. Break out. Right? Yeah, yeah, I get that. Outside, you had to step outside the box. And for a lot of people, that can be unnerving. And listen, I'll be the first one to say it was unnerving for me as well. Right, right. Because I was leaving everything I knew and I was launching this new business that I didn't know, you know, was going to work or wasn't going to work. And so it's still very much in the building phase. But that's exciting for me too, because I'm building it, right? So I'm actively involved. I'm doing it. I'm out there talking to people and trying to build the, build the business. So, um, and, and who's, who, who are the kinds of people that you usually talk with? Like, are, are we talking net worth individuals? Are we talking yeah, just anybody or? No, no, no. So, so for me, for me, uh, uh, a key client is going to be someone that's got, you know, 750,000 or more of investable assets. But most of, most of my clients are somewhere between the one and 5 million mark of investable assets. The firm does, do, you know, we have clients at the firm that have 10 and 15 and $20 million of investable assets. But my sweet spot is right in there, really between the one and 5 million, one and 3 million range is what, what my sweet spot would be. So yeah, consider that a, a high net worth individual. Yeah, sure. Right? For sure. Cool. The, there is a podcast that you're going to be kicking off here shortly too. What's that called? Well, I haven't come up with the exact name yet. I think it's going to be called Host of the Party uh, because it's going to be about finance and food. Finance and, wait, wait, wait. Finance and food. Right. Two completely divergent subjects. You've got to explain this. And and there is a story behind (laughs) that. Okay. (laughs) And because, listen, I I started this podcast by telling you I'm the middle of five kids from a Boston Italian family. So we, I grew up cooking. Well, I grew up a, a spatula in one hand and a pot in the other. It's just what we did in my house, right? Yeah. And so I grew up cooking and I love to cook. Uh, it's fascinating. It's you got another. You got another foodie it's, too, right here. It, right. And so, and the thing about cooking and the thing, and 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 as a result of cooking, I love to entertain. Right. Sure, I love sure. to have people. And listen, as you know, there's something very intimate about inviting someone into your home, right? You invite people into your home, you cook for them, you set the table, you create the atmosphere. It, there's, a, there's an intimacy about that, that that is just fascinating to me. Oh yeah. But I, and my wife is the same way. My wife is Puerto Rican and she's a great Hispanic, you know, Spanish cook, Latin cook, and then together I cook Italian, she cooks Hispanic, and then we everything else we just cook together. But my wife is also loves food and loves the entertaining and, you know, and, and the, and the intimacy of it. And so what happened was, and the reason that this is, you'll understand this in a minute. If you go and you read my blog every day, you're going to see there's a headline on the blog and it'll, it'll be a headline. So today it was like, uh, you know, uh, stock surge. And then I gave you, I gave you a recipe. So today I gave you linguine aliolio, right? So you'll see in the headline, on Twitter, on my LinkedIn. And the reason that happened was because in the middle of the crisis, I started writing this blog. Okay. In the middle of the financial crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would, every morning, I'd just write my thoughts down on paper about what the market was doing and why and what was important, what happened overnight in Europe, what was happening in Asia. And I used to send this blog out to just my clients. It was 16 people. That was it. Uh-huh. I would just write it and then email it out. Yeah. And on this one Friday night, it was a Friday night in December. It was going to be a lousy, cold, rainy, snowy, <laughs> shitty weekend in New York. And I had gotten my head. I'd just gotten beaten up the whole week because the European banks were falling off the edge. And, oh, and, yeah. and the ECB was having meetings in Brussels every day. Yeah. It was right. And the markets mm. were under pressure. And I went home on the Friday night. And my wife and I were empty nesters at the time because both our kids were at college. And I walked in the house and I went around and I pulled down all the shades on the first floor. And I took the phone off the hook and I said to my wife, I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to go upstairs and take a shower. I want to put on my pajamas. I want to come downstairs and light a fire. I want to snuggle on the couch, watch movies and cook. That's all I want to do. Just me and her. That's all I want to do. So that's what we did the whole weekend. That's what we did. And so on the Monday morning, I go to work and I used to write this note at, from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange at, you know, six o'clock in the morning, I'd start writing the note. And so all of a sudden at 6.30, the phone rings and the, fo- and, the, and the call came from a buddy of mine who was also a client who lived down in Texas. And he called me up to just shoot the breeze with me. What are you doing? How was your weekend? What do you do? So I told him exactly that story. 
And he says to me, what'd you make? And so I listed off the four or five things we made. And one of them was arugula pesto. Oh, arugula boy. pesto is just pesto made with arugula instead of basil. You use the garlic, you use the olive oil, the cheese, the pignoli nuts, right? You boil the pasta, you put the pesto sauce over the pasta, garlic bread, a glass of white wine, you're done. That's it. It's easy. Yeah. But it's really delicious. Yeah. Because arugula has got a little bit of a peppery flavor. So yes, it's got it does. like a little bit of a kick to it, right? Yeah. Unlike yeah, yeah. basil, a little bit sweeter. Yeah. Anyway, so I told him that story. I told him that the recipe, and he said to me, geez, he said, that sounds great. Can you send me the recipe? I go, yeah, sure. No problem. I'll just type it in the bottom of the note. Because now I'm talking to you at the same time I'm typing. So I typed the recipe in the bottom of the note. And so when I hit the send button, it went out to everybody on the list, which was, again, only 16 people. But, you know, you know when you have an email and you hit the send button, you go, oh, shit, you try to call it back. You can't call it back. It's gone, right? So the note that day went out to the 16 people right, right? With, with the recipe in it. Right, right. And so I spent all day. 16 times I had to tell that story because all day I got 16 <laughs> phone calls. What the hell is this recipe in the bottom of the note? It was a mistake. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. But I told the whole story. And the response I got was just like you did. You laughed, right? You didn't say to me, oh, you're an idiot. You go, wow, that sounds good. Or I'm going to send this to my wife. Or I'm going to go home and try to make it tonight. Yeah, Dude, it takes all of 15 minutes to make because you boil the pasta, you you blend the arugula, boom, that's it's it, It's a right? done deal, yeah. And so the next day when I get to work, I'm writing the note on the Tuesday morning and I'm thinking about the 16 conversations I had the day before about the food. Right. And what's interesting about finance, especially when you're in the middle of the crisis is finance can be so unnerving to people and managing money and, and jobs and income can be so unnerving, but yet food on the other hand is so nurturing because you need food to survive. Yep. And, and you know, like I have this love affair with food and I have this love affair with cooking and, 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 and serving. Right. And like, like, like having you over for dinner. And awesome. so the second day on Tuesday, I said, ah, screw it. You know what? I'm going to put another recipe in the note. And so I put another recipe in the note. Then the next day I put another recipe in the note. So now the note goes every day with a, it's that the whole, the first half is all about the markets and the bottom half is, is a recipe of the day. And what ended up happening was suddenly I was getting requests. All of a sudden you'd call me up and you'd say, Kenny, I forward your note on to five of my friends. Can you do me a favor? Just add them to the list. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I started, I started adding people to the list. Next thing you know, there's 70,000 people on this email list. Awesome. Right? That is and awesome. It, and it gets picked up by Bloomberg. It gets picked up by, uh, it goes out of my Twitter, it goes out of my LinkedIn, but that's where the food and the finance came from. So the podcast, I'm, 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 I'm going to combine my love of the markets with my love of food because right. there are times when, you know, I try to, I try to feature a recipe that, that details the tone of the market. Sure. Right. Sure. And there are other times I just want to talk about food at the end. Listen, I don't want it to be, it's not a, it's not a food blog or it's not a food podcast. It is no, really but, going to be a finance podcast. But having something of that nature involved really, really sets a better tone. Cause most people only think of the droning that goes on in the finance industry. You know, exactly. And so, yeah. and so I've had such success with this, with this blog as food and finance mm -hmm. that I want to make the podcast the same thing. So I think it's going to be called host of the party, right? On there the one go. hand, the party uh, like you would have at your house with the food. Right. And on the other hand, the party, like when I think of the, when I think of the roaring nineties, what it was like on the floor every day, it felt like a party every right. day. Fully a party. Right. So I'm thinking that's going to be my name. And I'm thinking that I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to launch it. Probably. Uh, I would imagine over the next, two or three weeks I'm you'll, just you'll have to now. you'll have to get us the actual link and, uh, the, and everything when yeah it's once i go. do it it's yeah because it's not live yet but yeah um, we'll, we'll definitely promote it on our end we're happy to um and and, and if anything you've got a subscriber because i'm that's stuff that i'm interested <laughs> in too so it'll, it'll all work out it'll all work out just fine yeah yeah, yeah. i think it'll be great well, that's awesome well we've wow we've we've done our we've done our time and we yeah. have we're gonna have to have you come back talk about some other stuff because right. um, this is fun where else can people find you besides your, well, where's your blog located? What's the, what's well, the, what's the URL for that? So, uh, the URL for my blog is, um, kennypolkari.com. Okay, cool. They can find right. the blog. They can find you. They, you're on LinkedIn. That, uh, I'm on LinkedIn and my blog gets reposted to LinkedIn every awesome. day. You can see it there in my activity okay. uh, on Twitter, which is just at Kenny Polkari. You'll see cool. my Twitter handle. All right. And my and my and my business website is called CaseCapitalAdvisors.com. That's the okay, URL. Okay, cool. We'll make sure that that's all down in the comments and people yep, can find perfect. you. And man, thank you. I mean, well, thank you. It was my is, pleasure. I hope I hope it was. A, I can't believe an hour and a half went by that fast. Uh, yeah, it goes by like super <laughs> quick, dude. 
it, this happens a lot though, especially when you have a good yeah. story to share and that's, and that's absolutely fine. There's plenty more that we can talk about. So doors yeah. open, would love to have you back, especially when yeah. this new podcast comes on and we get some other yeah. stuff going. Yeah. Um, and from guys, you know how we love to end these. It's always the same. We love every one of you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. If it's the first time seeing it, make sure you hit the, the bell. The bell is what tells you when the next one comes on. If you're listening on any of the, the podcast platforms, CastBox, Stitcher, blah, 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 download us. Subscribe, please. If you're on Anchor, you can support our little podcast by making a donation. It does help keep things moving. And we always in the same. Just stay, stay up, stay safe, stay healthy, and live. That's yeah. always the biggest one. And live yeah. from both of us to all of you. Ciao for now. Ciao. For more information on Java Chat, visit www.javachatpodcast.com. You've been listening to Coffee with Mike on Java Chat. Tune in weekly to this podcast for the next episode. You can also download or subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform. A production of Oasis Media Group, LLC. Located in Las Vegas, Nevada. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.